you're listening to the Telltale channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. In this podcast, we're going to talk about Pastor Robert Jeffress's predictions about what the left would do when they regain power after Trump. Televangelist John Hagee's claim that if we just follow the Ten Commandments, then we could get rid of the U.S. government entirely. Tony Perkins making new plans to make LGBT kids' lives more difficult. We also take voicemails. If you want to leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. If you want to send an email instead, the email address is telltalemailbag at gmail.com. Next email's from Marie. Hi Owen, I love your show. I've been following your channel for a while, and I was wondering if you think the Apostolic Church is a cult. I'm an atheist myself, but I currently work at a company owned by a large family who's apostolic. It didn't take long to notice that all the women from that church only wear skirts and hair in buns, making them stick out, especially with it being a factory. I've heard strange things about their services and events that remind me of things I've heard of other cults doing, including having to talk through fathers and religious leaders to date someone, women and men sitting separately at church, and events with a curtain between them, refusing to allow use of birth control, and having to get permission for certain procedures that would affect fertility from the church, even if it's to potentially save a woman's life. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Marie. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the first job that I got in high school, my first job was at Burger King, and my boss there, Rick, was an ex-Jehovah's Witness, believe it or not, and he desperately wanted me to get out of that religion desperately i was 16 maybe 15 i worked there for three years i think until i was 19 maybe and he told me that he didn't like the fact that i was a jehovah's witness and he wanted me to leave and he would tell me more when i turned 18 that's what he said so i turned 18 still worked at burger king for two years you know and i said all right i'm 18 tell me and he basically started preaching to me about his church which was an apostolic church he went to an apostolic church the whole nine yards exactly what you were saying the women wore long skirts they had long hair they had to go through men for all of their permission for anything they ever wanted to do the whole nine yards dude it is incredibly disconcerting that there are people out there that are so completely, deeply brainwashed in this and probably never have a chance. He got a girl from his apostolic church hired on there. He was the general manager, so he hired her on. And uh, she was super nice, but obviously brainwashed. And it's so sad to me that Rick left Jehovah's Witnesses for that, of all things. He recognized how wrong Jehovah's Witnesses were, but didn't see it. In the apostolic church it is so incredibly sad man i wonder where that guy is today anyway uh thank you for the email it was a very interesting trip down memory lane um yeah we i should probably cover apostolics at some point this is a very interesting uh set of beliefs Ufu, i'm so sad that he was just as blind as the elders and wanted to pull you from one cult to another yep Absolutely. It was really sad, dude. Wonder where he is now. It's a sad pattern we see where people who escape one cult enter another. Absolutely. That's why there are so many Catholics that are XJWs or Mormons that are XJWs. It's mind-blowing. But yeah, it happens a lot. More than you'd think, honestly. Makes me wonder if there are personality traits that make you more likely to fall victim to cults. I think so. I think, um, especially once you've fallen for a cult once, you're more likely to fall for another. We 
as a community, me and you guys are more likely to fall for this kind of thing because of our experiences, probably. Do not ever think that you are above falling for scams or cults because that's the first step to actually falling for them. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hi, Owen. Uh, my name is Patrick. I live in Vancouver uh, in Canada. I'm a Freemason, and I've uh, been watching your show for uh, a couple of months now. I'm kind of interested in why you haven't covered the Freemasons. Not like it's a cult or anything, but um, obviously it does get a lot of bad press and negativity. I would really like um, your comments on it. If you were thinking of doing a piece on Freemasonry, that would be wonderful. Um, have a great day. Love your content. I'll keep watching. Keep doing what you're doing. You're awesome. Bye now. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think I've talked about them in passing some. In fact, I may have done a video on them a long, long time ago. I don't remember. But from my impression, I, I know very little about it, but my impression of it is the big secret is that there is no secret. I get the impression the Freemasons used to be a lot more powerful than they are now. Now it's more of just like a community building type of thing. I mean, that could be wrong. And if somebody in the comments knows more about this than I do, then point me in the right direction. I'll take a look. Uh, just send me an email about it, telltalemailbag at gmail.com. There are a lot of conspiracies that build up around it, similar to the anti-Semitic conspiracies that float around all over the place. And I just don't really buy into a lot of it. I'm very skeptical of a lot of the claims, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be interesting to explore one of these days. Hey, Owen. My name is Shedrick. Um, I'm from Texas. I had a question. So, you know how they say Christianity changes people for the better? I always wondered, when people go through those changes and they become a different person after they join the religion, is that really a good thing or is that more like cult brainwashing? Because think about it, they literally go from being how they really are to this new generic version of, of themselves that was literally shaped by, you know, Christianity. And I feel like personally, you know, maybe I maybe am ask, answering my own question, but it, I would be nice to have your opinion on it. Yeah, I appreciate the voicemail. It is an interesting point. It, it absolutely is exactly as you describe. In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses have a word for that. They call it the Christian personality or the new personality. And sometimes you can see it shining through with Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. When you get them talking about their religion, you can see their eyes get glassy. They kind of open up real wide and they get like a vacant smile on their face almost. That's the glassy-eyed expression. And it's the sign that they're adopting parts of a new personality that didn't really fit in with their old or what we call their authentic personality originally. That's absolutely a problem and that is one of the defining features of a cult. It's one of the things that makes a group a cult. Having that new personality that they want to program into somebody. Oh, and this is Dwayne from Mississippi. Greg Locke is my guy. I listen to all your videos about Greg Locke. And what do you think about people like Greg Locke being compared to, like, WWF wrestling? Like, he's a heel, so it's kind of like he's somebody to watch entertaining, like The Undertaker or somebody like that. 
he's just such an entertaining dude. Like, it's crazy. Like, after seeing him in your videos, I've sought him out just to watch his videos and show him to other people just how crazy he is. He's like one of my favorite heels of the guys that you do on here. Who's your favorite? Thank you. Good day. Yeah, I appreciate the voicemail. It's interesting. As long as we all recognize how genuinely harmful he is to society, I'm on the same page as you. As far as my favorite person to cover, I think we have to get a good laugh out of these people, or we'll cry. Either you will laugh or you will cry, one or the other, in a lot of the cases that I cover. I think out of all the people I cover, Greg Locke is one of the more entertaining ones because he really busts out some crazy stuff, dude. Some real crazy stuff. But I think my, I think the, the most unhinged it gets for me is probably Kat Kerr because it's like a, a lot of her ideas are based on beliefs that she's formed out independently of anybody else and formulated on her own. And then she just kind of jumps in with both feet. Like, she's sitting there at home, and she comes up with this idea, like, you know, I think I've gone to heaven before, and I think I talk to God. In fact, I think I do it every week. And then she goes on these shows, and she tells people that she's seen a body parts warehouse that contain, like, new eyes and a new heart for people whose heart is failing, and God wants to give them this gift. And it's so disconnected from every other belief. It's like she started out Christian and just built a bunch of stuff up on top of it and went with it like it was real. I think Kat Kerr is probably one of my more favorite people to examine because it gets real strange with her sometimes. Real strange. Next email is from Thomas. Hi Owen, what is the JW stance on heavy metal music? And also... You mentioned that you're a former addict. What were you addicted to? Stay awesome. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses, I think music is one of those things that's mostly a conscience matter, as long as there's no swearing in it or no discussion of, like, you know, illicit subjects or whatever. Then it's a conscience matter. They do not like heavy metal. They don't like Pantera. They don't like any of that stuff. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to like this, the band Incubus back in the day. And the elders in my congregation told me I couldn't listen to Incubus because of the name. It's a bad name. It means demon, blah, blah, blah. But it's such a mellow, chill band. It would have been a great band for a Jehovah's Witness to listen to if they hadn't demonized them immediately because of the name. Jehovah's Witnesses generally look for any little thing they can find to demonize something, anything. They want to shut down every interest in your life except for Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what they want you focused on 24-7. If you're listening to music in an ideal world, it'd be Kingdom Melodies, the music that Jehovah's Witnesses write and publish. Like I said, some of it's a conscience matter. They don't come out and say, you're not going to make it into the new system if you listen to Pantera or something. But you will be pre-shunned if you do. People will be more cautious around you because they believe you to be a bad influence or whatever, if you listen to Pantera. Also, what was I addicted to? It started out OxyContin and then eventually moved to heroin when OxyContin was banned. Uh, West Virginia got hit with that epidemic hard and I got swept up in it. Luckily, I'm better now though, so there's that. Next email is from Tyler. 
Title is Still Not Understanding the Disconnect. Hi Owen, longtime fan, love everything you do. I've been watching your videos on and off for several years, but recently moved to small town Texas, living in an extremely Christian and far-right community, so I've started watching your videos more often just to keep my sanity. That sucks, man. I've lived in a small town, I absolutely understand. The more I learn about the community, the more confused I get. The people around here hate liberals and are very vocal about it, but they use food stamps, government-assisted health care, want higher minimum wages, etc. Aren't those socialist or at least liberal? How has the far right convinced people that use social programs that the left is so evil? Anyways, thanks again for everything you do, including keeping me sane. Best wishes, Tyler. There are a number of techniques that they employ, but one of the most popular is the fire hose propaganda technique. This is how they search for issues that will be useful to them. Firehose propaganda is the technique of spreading as many propagandistic falsehoods out as you possibly can through every medium you can. Send out these ideas through Twitter, through Facebook, editorials, the newspaper, broadcast media, the radio, everything. Send it out through every medium you can and do it scattershot. Start calling everything communist. Start saying Obama is a Muslim. Start saying that there are biolabs and that Fauci funded the virus and all everything. Just spread out every idea you possibly can and see which ones catch on social media. See which ones rise to the top. That's the idea behind firehose propaganda. So they pick out these issues and it's usually from a set of anti-worker stuff, anti social program, anti-healthcare things. They'll spread those out and whichever ones stick, they go with. And it's been this pattern for a long, long time. Really, it's been this way for 50 years. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, Richard Nixon, and you know these other political operatives all worked together to capitalize on the racism of the South. It was called the Southern strategy. Their strategy was to earn the votes of racist Southerners by being subtly racist themselves, dog whistling to racists. That was back when Nixon was running for president and he won and they saw how well that strategy worked and they employed it in other ways. That's kind of how we got to where we are. Propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. The best way to counteract it is by correcting the misinformation, getting online and correcting it. Like I'm doing, for example, like you do on Twitter, you know? like you do when you get on social media. Correct this stuff. They have convinced millions of people to vote against their own interests, and it is one of the most mind-blowing social experiments I've ever seen. Next, we're going to talk about Pastor Robert Jeffress's predictions about what the left would do when they regain power after Trump. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Pastor Robert Jeffress is this evangelical pastor who's really high profile, has a mega church, and loves to talk about the fact that he's friends with Trump. He made some predictions a little while back, back in 2019, 2020, uh, mid-2020, I think is when this first clip is from, 
about what he believed was going to happen, what the, the left was going to do to him and others if they won the presidency. It was basically a fear-mongering tactic to try to force people to vote for Donald Trump, even though he knew he was not very popular, even though he knew that he was incredibly controversial and not well-liked by everybody. This was his tactic to get people to vote for him anyway. So, with all that being said, why don't we watch this clip, like I said, early July 2020, and see what he had to say about Donald Trump. I would just say to Christians watching, as you determine for whom you're going to vote, get past the personalities. Look at the platform and the policies. You know, at this point, Trump really wasn't terribly popular, and he knew that. Uh, among evangelicals, Trump had made a lot of missteps that people really did not like. But I don't think he fully understood yet. I don't think any of us fully understood just how deep the cult of Trump went. Not quite yet. So he was trying to lean into his support for Trump to guarantee to the best of his ability that Trump was going to win the election. You know, uh, if we learned anything from Nazi Germany, we learned that it is the ruler who determines the policies that in turn determine the moral and the spiritual direction of that country. Wow, that's a really interesting point, And that's gonna be coming up later. Um, wow, dude, there is so much wrong with this. Where do I even start? So is he comparing himself and his and his party, Republicans and Donald Trump, to Hitler? It seems like that's what he's doing, right? He's saying, we learned from Nazi Germany that, you know, the ruler determines what the, the culture is going to be. I know you don't like Donald Trump, but you got to vote for him because we want him to rule the country and form out the culture. I know that he's specifically talking about the fact that he wanted Donald Trump to form out the policies of the country or, or, or whatever, not necessarily the culture. I get he wasn't talking about the culture specifically, but he's absolutely right. The leadership does, to some degree, form out the culture of the country. Fox News has driven a wedge right down the middle of American culture, and it's almost like there are two United States at this point. There's basically the right-wing extremists, the Trump cultists, and everybody else. That's pretty much what it's like at this point. And I, like, this was July of 2020. I, I didn't fully realize how far this had come until January 6, 2021, I think. I mean, I knew that it was getting bad, really bad, but I didn't really fully understand the full scope of it. I'm thinking maybe he didn't quite yet either. And for what it's worth, Robert Jeffress is an absolutely awful person and espouses absolutely terrible, terrible ideas. Anti-LGBT and all that stuff. But to his credit, after the election took place, he wrote an op-ed on Fox News website saying, Biden won, and we need to rally behind and pray for the new president, which is Joe Biden. To, to his credit, though he's, he was, at least, friends with Donald Trump, he did stand behind the fact that the election was not fraudulent or rigged or whatever else. Uh, keep listening, though. And that is why we, in so important in this election that we not be one of those 30 million evangelicals who didn't vote in 2016, that we turn out and vote our uh, convictions. 
he knows how important voting is. Uh, I feel like the left doesn't fully understand or doesn't take it as seriously as they should. The right would crawl over broken glass to vote for whoever the party rallied around, whoever that happens to be. In this case, it was Donald Trump, and I foresee it being Donald Trump until the guy is not involved in politics anymore. The left can't seem to pull it together and vote for who the nominee is. I didn't like Hillary Clinton either. I didn't like Biden either. They were not my first picks, but I did vote for both of them. I did. If I didn't, then there was that much more of a chance it was going to be Donald Trump. This isn't the first instance of Jeffress going up there and defending Donald Trump, though. Even though he knows Trump does not represent his values in any way, shape, or form. He went on Jim Baker's show. In fact, this is an appearance on Jim Baker's show, but this is a different appearance. This is late February 2020. And he went on Jim Baker's show then also to talk about this. So give this one a watch. Donald Trump, you know, you think evil of him because he says something that you don't understand. But you know what? He says something that you don't understand? What? Because he says something that you don't understand. That you don't understand. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, well, I, I think everybody fully understands what Donald Trump says. It's just deeply, deeply hypocritical for evangelicals to have this one set of beliefs or, or ideals or whatever and vote for somebody who says the things that Donald Trump says. In evangelicals' eyes, the guy should be viewed as a monster. Donald Trump has said things that I, I can't even repeat on here because it's so bad. The president of the United States saying really, really terrible stuff. Targeting people on Twitter and elsewhere, bringing down hate mobs on them, accusing people of things that they absolutely did not do. He's a bully and an awful person. Donald Trump is. He always has been. That's ostensibly supposed to be outside of the moral values of evangelicals. But here we sit with Jim Baker endorsing the dude and saying, you just don't understand what he was saying. You need to vote for him anyways. But you know what? The people that hate Trump swear worse than that in the streets every day, all the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I swear a whole lot more than, well, I don't know. Donald Trump does swear a lot. That's not the point. I'm not telling you to vote for me. I'm telling you that if you have a problem with swearing or bullying or whatever else, you are ethically bound to not vote for Donald Trump or be a hypocrite, one or the other. This doesn't seem to like register with them. They're not picking up on this. This doesn't make sense to them. You know why? Because they understand that participation wins them elections. Well, participation and gerrymandering and things like that. Uh, working the system against itself, basically. Talking about the language, let's get real. Every president, with perhaps the exception of Jimmy Carter, every president we've had in recent history, Republican and Democrat, has used salty language. That's they have. Enough. Every one of them. Yeah. The ones you know well and I know right. of as well. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. However, Donald Trump used more of it, significantly more, and he was a lot more public about it than any of the others were. If you really do believe that quote-unquote salty language is bad, you should not be endorsing this guy. There was somebody that had significantly less of a potty mouth, if you will, than Donald Trump. Ted Cruz was 
the last guy to drop out in 2016 in the primaries, he didn't publicly use language like Donald Trump publicly used. Ted Cruz would have been the more Christian or the more ostensibly Christian choice. But they voted for Trump. They stood behind him no matter what. That's called hypocrisy, my friends. So that's what Robert Jeffress had to say on defending Donald Trump and trying to get his listeners to vote for him despite the fact that Trump didn't align with their supposed moral beliefs in any way, shape, or form. But listen to this. He was taking multiple avenues of attack, trying to get his viewers to vote for Trump no matter what it took. His first avenue of attack seemed to be convincing them that there really was nothing morally wrong with Donald Trump swearing or, or with them voting for Trump, even though Trump did not represent their moral values at all. So that was his first avenue of attack. His second avenue of attack was basically fear-mongering, scaring them into voting for Trump. And he had some weird ideas of what was going to happen if Trump lost the election. So let's listen and see what Robert Jeffress thought was going to happen to him and the rest of the right if Trump lost the election. June 12th, 2020. I mean, once the left, if they succeed, they don't only want to dismantle our current police, they want to replace our current police with the thought police who go around patrolling every thought right. that they find objectionable. Okay, I haven't heard that policy platform from anybody that was running for president. I, I haven't heard it from anybody, period. I certainly haven't heard it from anybody that was running for president at that time. Biden didn't say anything about replacing the police or abolishing the police or de even defunding them. I don't think Biden said a word about that. In fact, I think Biden was in favor of more funding for the police, but making sure that it went to the right places like better training and stuff like that. That's my understanding of it. If the left ever gains control of this country again, I predict it's gonna be like the French Revolution. It's gonna be bring out the guillotines and execute every thought they object to and every person who holds every thought that they object to. Okay, so Robert Jeffress believed, he explicitly said it here, he believed that the left was going to pull out guillotines and do a French Revolution on people like him, anybody that they disagree with on anything at all. That is a new level of persecution complex. Honestly, Jeffress didn't believe that, not for a second. I don't think he did. But he wants his audience to believe that, and guess what? They do. They do believe it. Building on this persecution complex like these hate preachers do builds a sense of camaraderie, group loyalty, trying to insulate the members into the cult, trying to get them more involved in it and less involved in the rest of the world. That's kind of the goal behind the persecution complex. And you can see every extremist movement, every cult through history employ the persecution complex to some degree. That is what we're seeing here, plain and simple. I do find it ironic though, that the right brought gallows to the Capitol on January 6th, in the same spirit as a guillotine, I suppose. Isn't that interesting? That is why what happens in November mm. is so crucial. The future of our nation is at stake here. Yeah, this is plain and simple fear-mongering. Nothing more, nothing less. And it's trying to get his audience worked up into a blood frenzy because they believe that they're persecuted. White, straight men in America 
are being persecuted. That's how they win votes from people. By the way, the guy on the left here, Lou, Lou Dobbs is his name. He was on Fox Business, and he was an up-and-coming host. He was very, very popular in a lot of ways. I believe Lou Dobbs got canceled by Fox News. What was it for? It was real quiet. It was a quiet event. Fox News canceled Lou Dobbs, and nobody really heard about it. Nobody made a big deal about it. And it was because... This is an article on CNN. Although Fox isn't saying the timing of Dobbs' cancellation Friday appears to be no coincidence. It took place 24 hours after Dobbs and Fox were named in a $2.7 billion defamation lawsuit filed by voting technology company Smartmatic. Wow, I didn't realize that. This was uh, February 8th, 2021, I believe, when this CNN article was last updated. And this video released June 12th, 2020. So I guess Lou Dobbs was canceled within a nine months or so, give or take, of this happening, of this interview taking place. Robert Jeffress was a regular on Lou Dobbs's show and was about to get his own show on Fox Business. I'm not sure if Jeffress got his show or not. But yeah, Lou Dobbs is off the air now. I felt like there was a little bit more to the Dobbs story. I thought that there were some allegations against him, but maybe there weren't any allegations. Yeah, it looks like it was just the multi-billion dollar defamation suit by Smartmatic. That's what, appear that's what it appears to be here. But anyway, don't want to spread false information about the allegations. I'm, I'm not sure. So, not going to spread it around. Those aren't the only clips that I brought of Jeffress, though. This one is actually a classic. It came out mid-June 2020, so roughly around, the same si uh, roughly around the same time. And this is the clip that actually drew my attention to him in the first place. Give this clip a listen. This illustrates his deep misunderstanding of the concept of separation of church and state. Here's the question. There are those that would say that... The separation clause of the Constitution would mandate that all public discourse be totally secular. Who wants that? I don't ever remember demanding that, wanting that, asking for that, nothing. Public discourse would be totally secular? What? Who did he say wants that? Here's the question. There are those that would say... Oh, there are those that would say. Okay, so it's like a weasel words type of situation. I don't know if you guys have heard this term before. Here's the definition of weasel words. A weasel word or an anonymous authority is an informal term for words and phrases aimed at creating an impression that something specific and meaningful has been said, when in fact only a vague or ambiguous claim has been communicated. So people will say, those were weasel words, what I just said, people will say. What people? Who says that? What, what authority are you referring to? That's an example of weasel words. He said, there are those that would say. Those are weasel words, and you should try not to use those. Certainly not in a formal setting like this. Nobody's saying that. Nobody wants all public discourse to be completely secular. Do you believe that the separation clause mandates secular discourse look at the smile on the dude's face he knows he just lined him up pitching it down the center of the plate he's about to knock it out of the park he knows it this is one of the few subjects that robert jeffress kind of harps on constantly talks about it all the time do you believe that the separation clause mandates secular discourse well first of all there is no separation clause 
That is incorrect, good sir. There is. In fact, it's actually called the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. Separation of church and state is a term that was coined to describe the Establishment Clause in the Constitution. The reason the Supreme Court exists in the first place is to basically interpret what the Founding Fathers meant when they said this thing or that thing in the Constitution. That's why they're there. That's the whole point. What did the Founding Fathers mean? What did they intend to be the case with this line or that line or whatever else? With the Establishment Clause, we don't actually have to wonder. We know exactly what the Founding Fathers meant and what they had in mind and what they intended because one of the guys who wrote it, Thomas Jefferson, had a series of letters back and forth between Danbury Church in Danbury, Connecticut, where he talked about exactly what he meant when he described like the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause and all that stuff. We don't have to have anybody interpret it because he drew it out very specifically exactly what he wanted the line between church and state to look like and where it should be placed. He was very specific. I've read the letters between himself and Danbury Church. So, yeah, there's no quote-unquote separation clause. There is an establishment clause, which is what you're talking about here. And the establishment clause was described as separation of church and state by the guy who wrote it. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. Listen to these people clapping for this nonsense. There's no such thing as a separation of church and state in the Constitution. No, that's correct. It was letters to Danbury Church, but it was in reference to the Establishment Clause in the Constitution. That's what Jefferson was talking about. He is bastardizing this terribly. What the First Amendment says is, Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion or uh, the free or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Our forefathers came from another country where there was a state-imposed church where people were forced to worship. They wanted no part of that. They said, we're not going to allow government to establish a state church and coerce people to worship in it. That's all it says. Yeah, exactly. And that seems to be what evangelicals are trying to do right now, establish a state church. And if they can't establish a state church and force people to worship, then they're going to work their way into positions of power and turn the government as religious as possible. You can't have a separation of church and state if religious zealots are running the government. There is no separation in that case. That's the problem here. We have allowed the atheists, the secularists, the humanists to hijack our constitution and pervert it into something our forefathers never intended. That's what the problem is. Listen to these people just clapping away. Just clap, clap, clap. This is, this. wait, what, what's the saying? This is, uh, this is how democracy falls with cheering and applause or something like, it's a Star Wars quote. Somebody finish that for me. I'm gonna say this, and it may cost me some book sales, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Okay, before he says it, I just wanna give you a little bit of lead up here. I had to turn the audio way, way down because he screams into the mic. So I think I got it equalized. And it, it's one of the cringiest moments in evangelical history, so just brace yourself. Buckle up. And I'm gonna say it anyway. Thank God we have a president like Donald J. Trump who understands that. 
Why did the dude's voice crack? Isn't he like 60? That was weird, right? Yeah, so anyway, that's Robert Jeffress. Thank God we have a president like Donald J. Trump who understands that. Wow. You know, Trump is not a religious person at all. I feel like the dude is borderline atheist, although he hasn't really... I don't think Trump has really put much thought into religion at all, uh, past how he can use it to his benefit, how he can take advantage of it. I think that's the deepest his thoughts have gone into the religious direction, honestly. I wondered for a long time how Trump suckered people into believing that he was religious in any sense of the term. And then I realized that it's because of Robert Jeffress. It's because of people like him. It's because of religious leaders who have thoroughly worked Trump into their theology as a new messiah and spread that around to their congregation implemented what they call the trump test god will judge you and send you to hell if you don't stand by donald trump that's that's what they've said i mean no joke those are the words that they've said some of them johnny enlow for example said that he calls it the trump test this is why donald trump is viewed as one of the most important people in evangelical theology that brings us to a more recent clip this is may 16th 2022 let me give you a little bit of lead up there's a story in the news of a guy who went to a grocery store in buffalo new york and attacked a bunch of people and took their lives 10 of them i'm not going to get too specific but he released a manifesto and in the manifesto he cited things like the great replacement theory quote unquote, which is a conspiracy theory pushed by people like Tucker Carlson. He specifically went out of his way to, to go to an area that was heavily black. It was more diverse than the area that he was from. That's when he launched his whole attack and everything. It's very obvious that the guy's motivations were racism. I mean, if you just read his 180-page manifesto, it makes it pretty clear exactly what his reasoning was. But Robert Jeffress decided to speak on this subject on Fox News, so let's listen to what Jeffress had to say about this, May 16th, 2022. This is a horrific tragedy, and yet in a strange way, Shannon, it proves the veracity of the Bible. Uh, I'm sorry? I, I'm hoping he's going to give us some insight into this, because that is one of the strangest statements that I've heard. Robert, it's your fault. This whole situation is your fault. Yours, Tucker Carlson's, and every other Fox News host out there who spreads conspiracy theories like The Great Replacement and others. I mean, he specifically quoted certain things that I hear coming from Tucker Carlson's mouth all the time. This is your doing. Robert, this is your doing. I mean, the Bible doesn't mince words. It says evil is a reality. Jesus attributed evil to Satan and said he's been a murderer since the beginning. Wow, isn't that convenient? Jesus has an enemy that he can point at and say he's causing all of your problems. Isn't God supposed to be all powerful? I'll get to this in a minute. But shouldn't God be able to just snap his fingers and end all of the suffering? Can't he just end all of the evil right now, instantly? Why is God allowing this suffering and evil to continue in the first place? 
The same Jesus also promised one day he's coming back to vanquish evil forever. And until that time, these family members you described, people of faith, had the hope that Jesus is going to fulfill his promise. They are going to see their loved ones again. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. If God wanted, he should be able to snap his fingers and end all the suffering right now. The fact that God doesn't just snap his fingers and end suffering right now leads me to place blame on God. Nobody else. It's God's fault. All of this suffering is God's fault if he really is real. He should have done something about this a long time ago. As a matter of fact, Jesus' disciples and apostles, they believed that the end was coming in their lifetime. What happened? You believe the end is coming any five minutes now? So did they. Where's it at? We've been waiting for 2,000 years. How many more years are we going to wait for this to happen? before we accept that it's not going to happen and we need to solve these problems ourselves. The problems that you helped create, by the way. Uh, C.S. Lewis said all of the evil in the world is the result of uh, human beings with guns, bayonets. That's true. But God should have put a stop to that. God has the ability to stop all of the pain and suffering, and he's choosing not to. Either that or he's incapable of it. It can only be one. Either he's incapable of fixing these problems or he's choosing not to. Either he's evil or not all-powerful. So we can't blame God for this. Why the hell can't we? I can, and I am. I'm totally blaming God for this, if he's real. The next person in line to blame is you for sparking all of this extremist rhetoric getting people whipped into a blood frenzy and believing that they're being persecuted. Why God allows it for a little bit longer, we don't understand. But one day we know for sure God is going to make everything right again. This world is not the world that God originally intended. And thank heavens, it's not the world that will be forever. God is going to handle the evil problem once and for all. Any day. I've been waiting. Come on. Do it. Any moment now, Jehovah's Witnesses predicted this a billion times over, especially 1975. That's their big famous one. 1914 also. 1922, 1925. I mean, there are a billion of these. I mean, people have been making predictions about this literally since Jesus was on earth. They believed this. They believed the end was right around the corner. Any five minutes now. And here we are. Listen to the next segment of this clip, uh, May 16th, 2022. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. What can we do against this evil, against people who are so drawn away and possessed? They're talking about the Buffalo guy. They're talking about the Buffalo guy, like they aren't the ones that caused this in the first place. They're making it out like he wasn't Christian enough. That was the problem. No, I think he was a little too Christian. Like he was listening to your Christian preaching, Robert Jeffress, a little too much. I think that was really the, the source of the issue. Evil uh, intentions, evil forces that would make them so yes. hate other people for no other reason. They don't even know them. And to do something like this, how do we fight that kind of evil? Oh, there are a number of things we can do. Just want to say that. How do we fight this kind of evil? A strong campaign to filter out disinformation. There's something called firehose propaganda. Russia employed this in 2014, and they've been, and they've been employing it again recently. The idea is to spread as many lies and conspiracy theories as you possibly can through as many avenues as possible facebook twitter news reports the newspaper everywhere every platform you have spread as many different lies as possible 
see which ones stick, see which conspiracy theories stick, and then amplify those even louder. That's the firehose propaganda method. There are counters to it. As researchers at RAND put it, don't expect to counter the firehose of falsehood with the squirt gun of truth. That's, I like that. That's a good saying. They suggest repeating the counter information. So just come out here like I'm doing. Get out here, correct misinformation. Providing an alternative story to fill in the gaps created when false facts are removed. Forewarning people about propaganda. Highlighting the ways propagandists manipulate public opinion. Countering the effects of propaganda rather than the propaganda itself. For example, to counter propaganda that undermines support for a cause, work to boost support for that cause, rather than refuting the, pro the propaganda directly, and turning off the flow by enlisting the aid of internet service providers and social media services, and conducting electronic warfare and cyberspace operations. So basically, you have to go on a full-blown campaign to counteract the firehose propaganda technique. It's very complex, and there is no surefire way to fix it, but one way to try to counteract some of the firehose of falsehood propaganda technique is coming out here, just like I'm doing. Get online and correct the record, fix it. Tell people that's incorrect, call them out on their misinformation. That's the best method that we've really got right now. That's what psychologists are saying. Let's keep listening. We fight that kind of evil. Well, I mean, look, we're not going to eliminate evil, but we ought to push back against it. Okay, so my explanation for how to kind of resolve this problem, or at least mitigate the damage from the falsehood, the fire hose of falsehood that Tucker Carlson and Robert Jeffress and others are spreading, which is leading to people like this Buffalo guy. My solution is to talk to psychologists about the best way to fix the fire hose propaganda technique. How do we turn off the fire hose, basically? I'm looking directly to science for the answers. So what's Robert Jeffress's answer? We ought to try to curb it, whether it's through increased police presence or a banning posting of certain violent images, or how about teaching our children and teenagers that they're not biological accidents, they were created by a God who loves them and to whom they're accountable. Genius, yeah, that, that sounds genius. Just make people go to church more, and that'll totally, absolutely solve the problem of racism. Genius. But ultimately, we have to understand that racism is not a political problem. It is a spiritual problem, and it can only be solved with a spiritual solution. You can't legislate it away. Okay, interesting. Uh, you can actually pass legislation that mitigates the damage done by people like Tucker Carlson. Uh, let me give you a, a prime example of some legislation that you could pass that would alleviate a lot of this problem. There's something called the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine of the United States FCC was introduced in 1949, and it was a policy that required the holders of a broadcast license both to present controversial issues of public importance and to do it in a manner that fairly reflected differing viewpoints. So basically, if you call yourself a news source or a news station, you have to report on certain issues and you have to report on it fairly. It was a way to prevent the firehose of falsehood from spreading. Although that I think firehose is a fairly new propaganda technique. I don't think it, it's been named for very long. Russia really put it to the test on a grand scale in 2014. So anyways, that would be a really good piece of legislation. Bring that back. That was abolished 
a long time ago, and we see the results of it now. So here's my question. Is he playing dumb, or does he really not understand why Republicans are responsible for this? Does he know who's to blame here? That's my question. Let me know in the comments. Next, we're going to talk about televangelist John Hagee's claim that if we just followed the Ten Commandments, then we could get rid of the U.S. government entirely. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. John Hagee is a televangelist who's been around for a long, long time. And somehow, the dude has completely slipped under my radar. Well, he popped up on my radar recently for some interesting stuff he said. So let's take a look at a couple of historical clips, see what he had to say. This one's from October 2014. Then we'll look at his more modern clips from just the other day. In this clip, he's talking to his son, Matthew Hagee, who's on the left. John Hagee is on the right. So let's give this a watch and see what he had to say. I want every American to hear this very clearly. The prophet Joel says in the third chapter, I, God, will bring all nations, and hear that phrase, all nations includes America. Uh-oh, we're starting to get political. Into judgment. For they have divided up my land, the land of Israel. Okay, he's one of those people. So, seems to me like he's leaning heavily into the the whole Israel issue. Here's the thing about televangelists and their love for Israel. If it was altruistic or if it was humanitarian or something, it'd be one thing. It's not. The thing about televangelists and Israel is they need Israel to exist as a country for the end to come in Christians' eyes. That's part of the prophecy. They believe the Bible says that Israel will be rebuilt, and if it ceases to exist, or if it isn't prospering or something, the end can't come. That's the whole bit. And what happens when the end comes? Israel is destroyed, of course, because they're not Christians. This isn't about humanitarianism. They do not care about Israel. They don't care about the Jewish people. In fact, a lot of them have deep problems with the Jewish people. They just needed to exist for their prophecy to come true. That is their only interest in Israel. God says when any nation divides up the land of Israel, they are subject to judgment. Okay, is that Old Testament? Is that talking about modern day? Or is that some very specific quote from some very specific guy in a very specific situation? I, I don't even know what verse he's talking about here. And dividing Jerusalem is dividing the land. Okay, and, and what does he mean by dividing Israel? At this point, this is 2014, Obama was president, and, spoiler alert, he absolutely hated Obama. Obama was not splitting up Israel in any sense of the term. Our president is, is dead set on dividing Jerusalem. No. Obama was president at the time. In no way was Obama interested in dividing up Israel. Remember, this all routes back to his belief in this end times prophecy. The end can't come unless Israel exists. God is watching, and he will bring America into judgment. 
There are grounds to say judgment has already begun because he, the president, has been fighting to divide Jerusalem for years now. How? What was Obama doing up to 2014 that was dividing Israel, quote-unquote? But didn't Obama give them Iron Dome or something? Like, when did Iron Dome go... Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obama gave Israel Iron Dome or funded Iron Dome or something like that in 2011. In what way was Obama trying to divide Israel? Is it because he wasn't giving them the level of support that you wanted him to give them? What? We are now experiencing the crisis of Ebola. Oh, wow, dude. He fell right into the Ebola craze of 2014. Oh, my God. So, obviously, the guy dives deep into culture war issues. That's the point here. The guy eats it up hook, line, and sinker. He will believe pretty much anything the Republican Party had to say at that time. For those of you who are just getting involved in politics or just got involved in, like, 2016 when Trump got elected or whatever, it's always been pretty bad. It's always been pretty ridiculous like this. I mean, this is a new level, obviously. It's a new level. We have people storming the Capitol, trying to break in and kidnap the senators and, and the House members and stuff. It, it is a new level, but it's always been hyperbolic and unhinged. Fox News has always been about scaring people. Nothing more. We have a crisis in our economy. We are worried on every hand that we're going to be attacked by radical Islam. And there are some very rational voices saying that's their ne we are their next target. What rational voices? This is weasel words right here. I've talked about weasel words a, a little while back. Here's the definition of weasel words. A weasel word or an anonymous authority is an informal term for words and phrases aimed at creating an impression that something specific and meaningful has been said when in fact only a vague or ambiguous claim has been communicated. So an example would be saying something like, it's been said, or they're after me, or they are trying to kidnap people, or they are globalists, using the amorphous, ambiguous they, this big unknown, unseen enemy that's after you all the time. It's weasel words, and that's exactly what this guy just used right here. Very rational voices. What rational voices? Whose voices? Who are you talking about? I have no reason to believe you because you're not giving me names. You're not getting specific. I can say the exact same thing. Very rational voices have said that Islam wasn't coming after the United States in 2014. How about that? Now we're on equal footing. You claim they did. I claim they didn't. Saying that's their ne we are their next target. We are a nation that has a crisis of leadership. We are in chaos. And Looking back... What a quaint thing to think, right? A crisis of leadership under Obama's presidency. Boy, was he wrong. He had no idea. He had absolutely no idea. So that's uh, in a little introduction to John Hagee. He's always been involved in culture war issues. He's always used the persecution complex and fear-mongering to scare his audience. February 2016, let me give you a little bit of lead-up to what was happening at the time. At this point... The election hadn't actually taken place yet. It was going to happen in November of 2016, and then Trump was going to be inaugurated January 20th of 2017. And then Trump had 2017 to 2021. That was kind of the timeline of events. So honestly, the primary may not have even happened yet. I don't think it did. We didn't know that Trump was going to be the winner. This is the moment, roughly, mid-February 2016, when Scalia died. 
in office, like he was a Supreme Court justice, a very, very deeply conservative Supreme Court justice, like a complete wingnut kind of thing. And he died of something, heart attack maybe, I'm not sure. Anyway, Obama still had a solid year left in office. He actually had 11 months. They hadn't even picked a new president yet. He, you know, they, the votes hadn't even happened yet. The primary hadn't even happened yet. It was Obama's pick who the next president was, or who the next Supreme Court justice was gonna be. And the Republican Party intentionally chose not to hold a hearing. They chose not to hold a vote on who Obama wanted to nominate as the next Supreme Court justice. He picked Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is now the leader of the Department of Justice, I think, but they didn't even hold a hearing. They didn't even hold a hearing. So Trump wins the election, 11 months later gets inaugurated in. Neil Gorsuch was the Supreme Court nominee that Donald Trump put in office in place of Scalia. It was Obama's pick, but the Republican Party said, oh, we never pick a Supreme Court justice in the last year of a presidency. Who said that? That's never been a rule. Nobody has ever said that. It's not even a tradition. So Trump picks Neil Gorsuch after getting put into office. Obama lost that Supreme Court pick. And then in 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, a liberal justice. The last like month or two months of Trump's presidency, she dies and they held a hearing and pushed a new one through instantly, breaking the supposed quote-unquote tradition that they set up. So that was the situation with the Supreme Court justices, basically. That's what this next clip is about with John Hagee. Listen to this one, mid-February 2016, before the primaries even took place to find out if it was gonna be Donald Trump who was gonna be the nominee or not. Justice Scalia's death makes this presidential election a battle for the future of this nation. He's using urgent rhetoric, like we need to do this or the end is gonna come and everything's gonna crumble and America will lose and everything will fail and fall apart and all that stuff. This is how they get people to crawl over broken glass to vote for their guys. They scare the shit out of them for lack of a better term. Anything they can do to whip you into a blood frenzy and scare you to death, they'll do it, they'll say it. The future of this nation. If the president is allowed by the Senate to appoint a Supreme Court justice, America as we know it will be lost forever and immediately. You know, that's obviously incredibly hyperbolic and it reminds me of when our old buddy Chuck Norris said, we'll be plunged into a thousand years of darkness if you don't vote or if whatever thing was happening in that moment. This was 2012. This was for the 2013 election, which Obama won. Our great president, Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. President Reagan went on to say that you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We will preserve for our children this last best hope for man on earth, or we will sentence them to take the first step into a thousand years of darkness. Yeah, that's the famous quote, a thousand years of darkness. And then Roger Stone went on stage and said basically the exact same thing just a couple of months ago, something very similar. We have two parties in this country, the patriots and the traitors. <laughs> This is not about Republican and Democrat anymore. 
It is about those who believe in our constitutional freedoms and are ready to fight for them. And it is those who have sold us out, those who will buckle to the machine. This is a struggle between dark and light, between good and evil, between the godly and the godless, and we dare not fail or we step off into a thousand years of darkness. Yeah, way to plagiarize a speech from Chuck Norris, who apparently plagiarized it from Ronald Reagan. Well, quoted it. I guess he quoted it. Seems like plagiarism to me from Roger Stone. But anyways, this is the kind of rhetoric that the Republican Party's been using for a while now, and it gets people really, really scared. The Democratic Party doesn't do things like this. They talk about inevitable consequences of things that could happen. Like, for example... I've been talking a lot about the fact that the Republican Party is planning on removing birth control, banning birth control. That's not fear-mongering. That's a realistic problem that we're going to face. That's something that the Republicans are talking about right now. Republicans, when they talk about this stuff, are completely disconnected from reality and say things that are beyond hyperbole. This is in no way realistic. Like, some of the things they believe are, are going to happen. Socialism is going to invade America? What? Communism is here? China is taking over? I, this is all nonsense. It's, it's disconnected from reality. But this is the MO of the Republican Party. This is the kind of thing that they do. They use hyperbole. They scare people to death because they know if they do that, they'll get them to the ballot box. They will crawl over broken glass to vote. The left needs that same kind of enthusiasm if we want to push evangelicals out of government. If we want to push them out of power, we need that same enthusiasm. The cheap way of getting that kind of enthusiasm is by scaring the shit out of people like they've been doing. The honest way just doesn't do it as quickly. I'm not saying we should be doing it like Republicans, scaring people. We shouldn't. We absolutely shouldn't. I'm just telling you this is why they're winning. Anyway, let's keep listening to John Hagee, fearmonger to his audience. A fifth liberal justice on the court will pass the socialist agenda of the president with lightning speed. Every person listening to this telecast should contact their senator and encourage them not to consider any candidate to replace Justice Scalia on the Supreme Court until the next president has been elected by the American people. For once, let the voice of the American people make the call, not the political establishment in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's the kind of fear-mongering tactics the Republicans have always used. It's dirty, it's underhanded, and honestly, it shouldn't be coming from a pastor or a televangelist using his church as a platform to preach politics. I feel like that's deeply, deeply wrong. And barely constitutional, barely legal. In fact, I think I've heard a couple examples already, just in what we've listened to from John Hagee, of him crossing the line from legal speech to illegal speech that should get his tax-exempt status taken. I mean, he's not going to be jailed for anything he says as a pastor, but he, w he should legally have his tax-exempt status removed for some of the things that he said so far. This president has a master's degree in deception. Uh, I won't get started on that because this is only a 30-minute show. Of course, he's talking about Obama at this point. But it's also the responsibility of Senator McConnell to block the president's presentation. The, the Senate does not receive anything that McConnell does not okay. 
one, if McConnell does so, we call upon those senators in the U.S. Senate who want this nation to be preserved to boycott any person that the President of the United States put forward. And just as a matter of history, when the shoe was on the other foot in 1960, the Democratic Party passed a law forbidding a president in the last year of his presidency to select a Supreme Court justice. Do you hear that on Facebook, John? That's BS. I didn't hear a single word about that. I've never heard of this law. Can you tell me the name of the law? Uh, you gave me a year. Can you give me a law number? Anything at all? I've never heard of that before. That's absolute nonsense. Strange how history comes back to bite you. But why is he so worried if there's already a law banning it? If there is a law preventing Obama from picking a Supreme Court justice in his final year, then why are you worried? Why are you out here telling your audience to call their senators? Telling your church members to call their senators? Why are you even bothering if it's illegal? Because it's not. He made it up. Of course. This is the kind of thing they do. They lie, they cheat, they manipulate, they do whatever it takes to accomplish their goals. This is called an ends justify the means mentality, and it is a hallmark of extremism. This is what makes somebody an extremist. The ends justify the means mentality. You believe that it's okay to do anything at all if it accomplishes your goal. That's what differentiates Republicans from Democrats right now, in my opinion. Their willingness to fight dirty, to lie, cheat, steal, to twist facts, to gerrymander, to spread false information, whatever, anything. Lie about whatever to accomplish your goals. So anyways, yeah, that's John Hagee. I just want to give you a little bit of an idea of who the guy is before we listen to the newest clips. That brings us to today. This one is mid-May 2022, the most recent one I've got here. Listen to what he had to say to his audience the other day. What would happen if America obeyed all of the Ten Commandments? Our schools... Oh, before, before you answer that, John, why would we? They were abolished by Jesus. We would have no reason to listen to the Ten Commandments at all. You know what they were replaced with? They were replaced with two primary laws. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, body, strength, whatever else you've got in you. I believe that Jesus replaced the old laws with that. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, somebody, if there's more to it than that. But I find it interesting that he'd rather go with the laws that condemn homosexuality than the laws that say to love everybody. Isn't that something? Our schools would be teaching the Ten Commandments, not throwing them out the back door. The schools shouldn't have anything to do with religion. There wouldn't be a critical race theory being taught. There isn't. There is no critical race theory. This is a fabrication in your own mind. Critical race theory is like a graduate level degree or a graduate level class that people in law school take. To look at political issues from a different lens is like a thought experiment, basically. They're not teaching critical race theory, quote unquote, in kindergarten. There wouldn't be a critical race theory being taught. There would be no transgender sex being taught. Uh, if trans, quote unquote, transgender sex is not being taught. There are some trans people 
in the world. That's a fact. And it's a fact you're not going to eliminate either. You're not going to get rid of trans people, FYI, much as you would like to try. It's not going to happen. They're here and they're here to stay. And that's just what it is, whether you like it or not. But no one is trying to teach anybody to be trans. Again, a fabrication in your own head. If the Ten Commandments were in the schools, there would not be condoms in the restrooms. Uh, there wouldn't be crime in the street, for you shall not steal. There shall not be murder, you shall not commit murder. There would be no abortions, because I assure you, in God's opinion, abortion is murder. Oh, and of course you speak for God, is that right? I find it interesting that he seems to believe that everybody would follow the Ten Commandments without fail. Like, there would be absolutely no issue with crime. You would just get rid of the police, who cares? Because everyone's following the Ten Commandments, right? And if they don't follow the Ten, uh, and if they don't follow the Ten Commandments, then we what? Deport them? What's your plan here, John? They they'll just follow them, I guess, is his plan. They're just gonna follow all the commandments. Period. Anyway, that's John Hagee. That's his bizarre take on the Ten Commandments and what would happen if the United States followed it. I guess we could just get rid of the police, get rid of the senators. Hell, get rid of everything. We don't need the U.S. government at all. Because everyone would just follow the Ten Commandments. That totally checks out. 100% logical right there. He released another clip mid-May 2022. Give this one a listen. The Bible is forbidden to be read in public schools. Uh, no. No, the Bible is not forbidden to be read in public schools. You are perfectly free to read the Bible in public school to your heart's content. Teachers are not allowed to force students to sit there and read the Bible. That's the difference. They're not allowed to use it as instructive material unless it's in a comparative religions class of some sort. They're not allowed to use it as a history book or something like that. Once again, twisting facts around to make people more afraid, to make people think that the world is significantly worse than it actually is because that gets people out to vote. That motivates them. That builds a sense of group loyalty and camaraderie and brotherhood. This is the persecution complex at work right here. White Christian males are so persecuted in the United States. If you only knew how persecuted they were. The Bible is forbidden to be read in public schools. Public prayers would be forbidden. The Ten Commandments were stripped from the walls of Congress and schools and universities. The fact is that every crisis America is facing can be solved by obedience to the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you know, technically I think that schools are actually allowed to put up Ten Commandments if they also allow the Satanic Temple to put up a pentagram or Muslims to put up whatever else, you know, whatever other things they want to put up. It's just schools never want to have a pentagram in the middle of their courtyard or whatever. So they have to, like, they're forced by law to take down the Ten Commandments if they aren't going to allow the Satanic Temple to come into. That's really what it's all about. And he doesn't like that. What he's fighting for here is privilege. He's fighting for Christian privilege, not fighting against Christian persecution. He is fighting for Christians to have more rights than everybody else. The fact is that every crisis America is facing can be solved by obedience to the Ten Commandments. That's not an overreach. That's a fact. Okay. Why would we follow the Ten Commandments, John? Jesus abolished those. 
We don't need the Ten Commandments anymore. The commandments we need are love your neighbor as yourself, don't judge lest ye be judged, all the other ones that Jesus taught. Why are you going all the way back four or five thousand years to find old laws that the old Jewish people used to follow? 613 of them, by the way. And why are you picking the first ten? Why aren't you going with the other 603 that came after it? They weren't really separated out. Not, not really. You'd have to stop wearing cotton and linen blends. That means no polyester suits. You couldn't put two seeds in the same hole. All of the other stuff that comes with those laws, you have to take it all. You can't just take 10. That would be morally and logically consistent, though, and that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a point of persecution. He's looking for a fear tactic, and he's looking for simple, basic, straightforward talking points that he can use to get people radicalized. It's time for 65 million Christians in America to stand up and fight back and be counted. Vote the Bible. Vote the Bible. Vote the Bible. Bring righteousness back to America. You know, it, it honestly seems to me that what he's doing here is enough to get his tax-exempt status removed. It should be. I mean, I've read the Johnson Amendment. I've read the U.S. tax code. I know the laws with this stuff, and he should have his tax-exempt status removed, just based off of what I've already heard. Let freedom ring! Can I get a witness? It's time for 65 million people to take our Bible-based convictions and drive this godless socialist ad administration out of office. Godless? Socialist? In no stretch of the imagination is Biden's administration godless or socialist. Biden is a deep believing Catholic, and in no sense is he a socialist either, or a communist, or whatever other buzzwords you want to stick in there. Do it now. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Give the Lord praise in this house. Yeah, so that's John Hagee. That's what we're dealing with right now. And here's my question for you. How do these televangelists keep roping in these gullible suckers? How is it that he finds new people to believe the nonsense that he spouts. Look at the size of this dude's megachurch. If you're not watching, if you're listening, I'm not good at crowd estimates, but I'm guessing it's, I mean, we're only looking at like a small corner here. I'm guessing it's at least 6,000 people minimum. It could be up to 10,000. It's huge. It's ginormagantuan, if you will. How did he rope in this many gullible suckers? Let me know in the comments. He actually specifically instructed his people to vote for Donald Trump. Here you go. This is John Hagee specifically instructing his people to vote for Donald Trump, which, by the way, is explicitly against the law, and he should lose his tax-exempt status for this. Martin Imola said, To see evil and not call it evil is evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us harmless. I want you to understand that as an American citizen, you have a responsibility to go vote. I am going to vote for the candidate that's going to make the U.S. military great again, because the party in power has reduced us 
to a World War II level where the Japanese attacked us for the very reason. Okay, this is interesting. It seems to me that I guess he didn't explicitly say, go vote for Donald Trump. He said, go vote. I'm voting for Donald Trump. If you don't vote for who God wants you to vote for, then you will burn in hell. I'm voting for Donald Trump. Go vote. I'm going to vote for the party that is going to solve the immigration problem, not the one that has created the immigration problem. I'm going to bring, I'm going to support the party that brings jobs back from China, not through international trade agree agreements, send millions of jobs to foreign countries because it's cheaper labor and putting millions of Americans out of work. I mean, this is from 2016, but I do find it particularly interesting that Biden explicitly said that he intended to try to have things made in America again, too. He said that in his State of the Union, and I think he even said that on the campaign trail. That was like one of his big things or whatever. But, you know, facts don't matter to these people. None of it matters. What matters is hurting their enemy, owning the libs, and having an ends justify the means mentality. Lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, whatever. Whatever it takes to get you where you want to be, which is a second term for Donald Trump, or a first term in this case for Donald Trump. That's who these people are. Next, we're going to talk about Tony Perkins making new plans to make LGBT kids' lives more difficult. Give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Tony Perkins is the leader of a group called the Family Research Council, FRC, and it's actually a known hate group. It's listed as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, the SPLC, and I think he may be on the ADL website also. So I, I just wanted to take a quick glance at the SPLC website that, that talks about Family Research Council and Tony Perkins. This is him on screen, by the way, if you're unfamiliar with him. Let's just take a quick look at this SPLC website. The FRC often makes false claims about the LGBTQ community based on discredited research and junk science. The intention is to denigrate LGBTQ people as the organization battles against same-sex marriage, hate crime laws, anti-bullying programs, and the repeal of the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. To make the case that LGBTQ community is a threat to American society, the FRC, which is Family Research Council, employs a number of policy experts, quote-unquote, whose research has allowed the FRC to be extremely active politically in shaping public debate. Its research fellows and leaders often testify before Congress and appear in the mainstream media. It also works at the grassroots level, conducting outreach to pastors in an effort to transform the culture. Needless to say, Family Research Council is high profile, it's a big deal, and it is downright destructive to society. So I want to give you a little taste of who leads it, Tony Perkins. This is the guy. This clip came out early February 2021. This is after, right after Biden was inaugurated. So give this one a listen, see what he had to say about Joe Biden. These are challenging times. I'm not, I am not going to put any kind of spin on it. The policies that are coming out of this administration uh, are, are, are literally from the pit of hell. 
you know, this may seem like a little thing, but this is religion and politics mixing, and this is the problem in society, no joke. Ultra-religious, ultra-nationalist supposed patriots working their theology right into the American political, uh, the American political system are causing massive amounts of problems in society. Keep listening. Uh, within, within hours of taking office, forcing you as a taxpayer to be involved in funding abortions, not just here in America, but around. Not true. Not true in any sense of the term. There was one Trump era executive order or policy or something that Biden reversed that he's really twisting to make that statement in the first place. He's twisting it out of proportion. But that's the nature of propaganda. Twist it until it's unrecognizable. That's what it's all about. And that's what we're watching. Propaganda. This is him propagandizing to his audience. The attack on religious freedom. What attack on religious freedom? The most persecuted group in America. Straight white Christian men. I'm so sorry that you have to deal with being so persecuted. The attack on our children with forcing schools, this transgenderism on elementary schools, secondary schools, colleges. That's not happening. None of that is happening. At best, colleges are more accepting of everybody. That's it. They're not forcing anybody to be trans. Certainly not middle, elementary, or high schools has nothing to do with being trans. But this guy has deep-seated problems with the LGBT community. Remember that as we continue. Our military has now become, once again, a laboratory for social experimentation. How? He's twisting it out of proportion, making it out to be something that it's absolutely not. It's just propagandizing, plain and simple. They're going to be teaching these pagan religions from the indigenous people and having the students actually go through these incantations and pray to these pagan gods. See, the Family Research Council, led by Tony Perkins, is the start of a lot of this type of propaganda. He is the start of what's called the fire hose. Putin implemented this propaganda technique called the fire hose in 2014, and he's doing it again now in 2022. Throw out as much misinformation as you possibly can in all different forms and varieties. Come up with as many conspiracy theories as you can possibly come up with. Send them out in newspapers, on news broadcasts, in editorial pieces, have online influencers parrot them, spread them on Facebook, Twitter, every outlet you can possibly find to spread these conspiracy theories, do it. And the ones that stick, repeat those the most. The ones that people seem to believe most reliably, those are the ones that you stick with. For example, Russia did this exact thing recently, in 2022. They made claims about biolabs in Ukraine. There were a couple of others, I don't remember what they were now. Those stuck the best. You think those are the first ones Putin went with? No. Putin started out by calling Ukrainians Nazis. He said it's run by the Nazis or whatever, the whole government is. That one didn't stick and he recognized that it didn't. So he started his fire hose. He started spreading all of these conspiracy theories about Ukrainians or, and, and their relationship to America and Great Britain and all that other stuff. And the ones that stuck are the ones that he started repeating the most. That's the fire hose of falsehoods. That's the name of the propaganda technique. And Tony Perkins, 
and Family Research Council do this exact thing, this exact method. They come up with as many propagandistic claims as they possibly can, and they spread them through as many outlets as possible on their Twitter account, on their Facebook. They spread them through online interviews and editorials and everything they can. And that's what he's doing right now. He's spreading a whole bunch of conspiracy theories and seeing which ones stick. You know, we, we've seen idolatry in different forms, but now it is so blatant. I mean, we're in, a, we're in the 11th hour and I believe America is in serious trouble. After spreading propaganda, now he's spreading fear to make people more malleable and willing to accept that propaganda. This is the psychology behind mind control and manipulation. We are, we are literally shaking our fist in the face yeah. of God and challenging God. If you're really God, you do something. Yes. And he is God and he will do something. Been waiting for it for uh, how, let's see, it's 1132, uh, 2000 years roughly by now, yeah. 2000 years we've been waiting for Jesus to come back. 2,000 years we've been waiting for God to punish everybody for all of their sinful nature or whatever else. Still waiting. Where's he at? Still waiting for him to stop all of the evil and suffering in the world. Still waiting for him to cure cancer. To end world hunger. Still waiting. Jesus' disciples believed it was going to happen in their day. We're 2,000-something years past it now. Where's he at? Back in November 2021... Ronna McDaniels is, I believe, the head of the RNC, like the Republican National Committee or Convention or whatever else. She tweeted out on some Twitter account some general support for the LGBT movement because there's this group called the Log Cabin Republicans. It's a group of gay Republicans or LGBT Republicans who vote for Republican candidates every time, right? And Ronna McDaniels tweeted out her support for the LGBT movement. She said something like, it's a big tent and we want everybody under it. So if you're gay, then come on under and vote with us. Politically, a sound move. It's a good idea, politically. Draw in more voters. Why would you marginalize and isolate a community that could be handing candidates to you honestly completely ridiculous for the republican party to be against the lgbt community well guess who didn't like that very much when ronna mcdaniel did that tony perkins he threw a little bit of a fit over the fact that ronna mcdaniels was trying to draw in new lgbt voters he doesn't want them to be a part of this at all listen to this he goes on this radio show tony perkins does and he says this november 2021. There's a lot of RNC members uh, in leadership positions that are upset about this because they were not told. This was something that uh, uh, Rana did on her own. Uh, quite frankly, I think it's time for her to, uh, to take up something else. I believe Rana McDaniels had done something very similar in previous years for Pride Month. It was like around June, I think, or something. She had come out and said, you know, we want you to vote for us. Or we want you to vote along with us, LGBT community. Just expressing the most basic, straightforward, simple support for the LGBT community. Just enough to get their votes. That's it. And the guy's throwing a fit over it. And I uh, leave the party to those who I think can chart a path forward, restore what has been lost, 
and make sure that the Republicans, the conservatives, regain the majority both in Congress and continue to see victories and uh, gains in states across the nation. So she needs to step down, is what you're saying? I think so, yeah. I think she needs to step down. I oh. think uh, she, 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 she has uh, outlived her purpose at the RNC. What was it he said a second ago? Listen to this again. I think can chart a path forward, restore what has been lost. What's been lost? What did we lose as a society by LGBT people being more accepted? Can you tell me what we've lost? Is this one of those we want to go back to the 1950s again things where black people were drinking from colored only water fountains? Is that the kind of era that you're aiming to go back to, Tony? I don't understand. What else could that possibly mean? Early May 2021. Check out what he had to say to his uh, little set of buddies here. We should be you know, happy warriors. We were created for this. You know, the, this warrior language kind of disturbs me. I, I hear this a lot. Um, using warlike language like this, this type of rhetoric is truly dangerous, and it is the type of thing that leads to civil wars. I don't know that we're going to be in a civil war in the United States, but I, I can tell you this. They certainly, like Republicans, they believe we are. They believe that they're going to enter a civil war. As a matter of fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert actually showed up a while back at some office to protest in favor of January 6th political prisoners of war, quote unquote. That's what they called them, political prisoners of war. And then these pretrial January 6th defendants are, are, have been held months on end uh, being abused as political prisoners of war by not only federal judges, uh, prosecutors of the Department of Justice, um, but also the D.C. jail where Kathleen Landerkin is probably still the deputy warden, and she says herself how much she hates Republicans, hates Trump, and hates the people that are being held in the jail. If Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert really do believe that they're prisoners of war, that means they really do believe that we are currently in a civil cold war right now. That is where this type of warrior language that Tony Perkins is using right now, that's where it leads us. We're already at this point now. We were already there by May 2021 when this clip came out. I'm just saying this is a direct result of this type of language right here. It wasn't like this is just something that happens to fall upon us at this moment. Yeah. We were created to be warriors for Christ, especially as men, we're to lead our families as warriors. Now, that terminology has been, you know, maligned by the culture that we're, you know, these, um, you know, Christian warriors from a standpoint of we're trying to take over the world. Yeah, absolutely. That is how I'm taking it. it should I be taking it differently? Trying to take over the world. Yeah, we are. The kingdom. Okay, I guess I was correct then. I guess I am right to be concerned about the fact that you're using this language. It seems like I was right from the start. You're not alleviating my concerns here, Tony. The kingdom. Yeah, from a the kingdom of God. We yeah. want to see everyone come to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life. And that means we're going to have to wage warfare. You know, I... Don't know this for a fact. I just feel it's true. I have to imagine a very similar conversation took place directly before the Crusades. This sounds like something the Crusaders would say. No joke. We're going to have to, and it's not physical warfare. It's not the weapons of our warfare, as, as Bird said. They're not carnal. 
but they're mm -hmm. spiritual for the tearing down. Okay, well that alleviated my fears a little bit. However, unfortunately, your audience seemed to take it very differently up to this point. And as I said, the right already believes that we're in a civil war. They already believe that they are literally at war with the left. In fact, they have demonized us, anybody to the left of shooting the homeless for sport, they believe that anybody to the left of that is not just somebody with a different political view, but subhuman, different than them, fundamentally different, possessed by demons. That is where this type of language leads people. That headspace is where you end up when you use language like this. Now, I understand he just slipped this into the middle of this big, long talk. As, as Bird said, they're not carnal, but they're spiritual. For the I get that he just slipped that right in the middle. Uh, but all the way up to now, you've been talking about waging war on anybody who doesn't think like you. And guess where we are now? People are literally referring to the January 6th defendants as political prisoners of war now. I believe that's a result of a steep increase in this type of language used by people on the right. So we shouldn't make any apologies about that. In fact, we should embrace it, that God has entrusted us with this generation to be courageous for him in taking truth and light into dark places where deception reigns so that men, women, and children can know him and experience not only eternal life, but the fullness of life right here and now. I feel like this one was an example of the mask slipping. You know, every now and then you hear these pastors say something really, really out there that I honestly can't even believe they're saying publicly. Like, I have no doubt they're saying this behind closed doors. No doubt about it. But coming out and saying this publicly is honestly a little bit of a surprise. Like, you would think that they wouldn't want people like me hearing them saying this stuff, using this type of language, saying, yeah, they are trying to take over the world. Yeah, they are trying to wage war and stuff like that. But here we are, sure enough, sitting here listening to it. Listen to this next example of the mask slipping. This one was mid-June 2021. Conservatives, by the way, um, have been on the ascendancy in Congress in the last, I've been here almost 20 years. I'm good to be, uh, be the old guy in the room. But what's happened is that we've seen the Republican Party go from a moderate party to a very conservative party where we are very close to saying true constitutionalist conservatives in control of the Republican Party in Congress. We no longer have a single pro-choice Republican in the ranks of the Republican. They're all pro-life, at least they give the, to, to differing degrees. That is a big change that's taken place in the last 10 years. Yeah, it seems to me that what he's saying here is he recognizes how polarized the country has become and he revels in that. He's glad, he's happy about it, he's proud of it. He knows that he was at least partly to blame for this kind of extremism popping up, this polarization popping up and driving away right down the middle of everything and everybody in the United States. This is one of the guys that doesn't really have a terribly public face, like he's not super public and out there and all over everything, like Trump is, for example. But he is in the background at all times coming up with new angles of attack, new propaganda methods, new ideas, 
spreading that fire hose of falsehood all over the place. He's always in the background, and he has been for like decades. And that brings us to our most recent clip, early May 2022. He has a new plan of attack. Listen to this one. I don't think we should abandon the public schools. I, I encourage young people who want to go into the teaching profession to see the public schools as a mission field. We cannot abandon it. We need to run for the school board. We need to be teachers. We need to be administrators, but we don't need to sacrifice our children. So he's saying as evangelicals, people shouldn't really be sending their kids to public schools. They should be homeschooling them or sending them to Christian private schools. But there's a twist to it. Keep listening. I am not saying we abandon the public schools. We Too many kids are gonna continue to go there but it shouldn't be our kids. We should send our, our kids as teachers and instructors. Amen. So he wants people to send their kids to Christian private schools or homeschool them in ideal situations and train them to be teachers so they can go in to public schools and start teaching there and propagandize to the children. This is the evangelical plan. He is part of it. In fact, he's running it in a lot of ways. He has always been in the background pulling strings since the very beginning. Thank you guys for coming and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.